If you're able, please stand for our reading today. It is from Judges 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, and then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight. And at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought her up to seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then... I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. When she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, 
Then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak, be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. She began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it, so that the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Esteol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. The word of the Lord. Please join with me in prayer. Lord, again, uh, we sit before you, um, and we sit with hearts that, that need to hear you speak to us, because we always need to hear you speak to us. You are our life. You are our light, our truth, our everything. And so we ask once again that you would, by your Spirit, help us to hear that you would draw us away from those things that seek to disconnect us from you and that you would draw us 
to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we now come to what I think is the climax of the book of Judges, perhaps the most famous story in all of Judges, the story of Samson and Delilah, perhaps one of the most famous stories actually in, in all the Old Testament. And at its very heart, what we have before us is a story about sin. We said last week that Samson kind of uniquely is representative of Israel. His story is Israel's story. And within that context, the story of Delilah, Delilah herself represents sin's attempt to take Samson captive. In fact, sin's success and Samson's failure when it comes to sin. And as I said, it's the climax of the book because this book, the book of Judges, is meant to draw our attention to to sin, to its reality, to the way that it works, and to its effects. It's not a pleasant topic. It's not something we naturally say, let's think about sin for a while, but it's, it's important because Scripture is clear. Sin is our enemy. And so we need to understand how sin works, how it seeks to bring us down, where it is taking us. And so that we might see it with a proper gravity, we must also see sin's consequences. And that's what our passage invites us to see this morning. Now, before we, we start going into the passage, it should be, we should just first stop to talk about what we mean by sin. Sin is a word today that I think has lost some of its original meaning. I think, and you guys can tell me later if you think I'm right, that when people talk about sin, they oftentimes think of a breaking old-fashioned rules so you can have a little bit of fun. So you think about Las Vegas, and it's just called Sin City. Or I've seen ads before that talk about chocolate that's so good it's sinful. And there's kind of an, a nudge, a wink, uh, let's loosen up a little bit. It's, it's, it's talking about stuff that isn't that big of a deal, but it's a little transgressive. It's breaking rules. Now, Scripture does include the idea of breaking God's commands and sin, but I want us to understand that when we're talking about sin, we're talking about more than that. It's not just about breaking rules. At its core, sin is about breaking relationships. Sin and the trajectory of sin and where it pulls us is to move us away from God and turn us towards something else. That is at the heart of every temptation, whether we realize it or not. Whenever we find ourselves in a moment where we have a sense of what God wants of us, what he's calling us to, and we are feeling pulled elsewhere, it is not just about breaking a rule. It is about trust. It's about love. God says, this is the way. This is where I am to be found. And in that moment, we're choosing between God or something that is seeking to move us away. And I think we'll see that as we see the progression in this story. We're going to kind of look at Samson's failure, and I want us to kind of notice kind of four steps, four aspects to what sin has done in the story of Delilah to bring Samson to the place that he ultimately goes. And the first one I want us to notice is Samson's disregard for God's instructions. Um, That's where this begins, even though in our story itself we don't see it. But if we remember, if you were with us last week, we see in Samson someone who has not found a constraint that he doesn't want to break. 
I mean, it's true physically. You might remember when he was bound with ropes, he just snapped them last week. Or if you might have noticed at the very beginning of our passage, we have another small story where people try to kind of capture him in gates. And so what does he do? He takes the gates, he rips them up, and he carries them for a few miles. He breaks barriers, and not just physical barriers. Because it would seem that to Samson, God's instructions feel kind of like a cage that needs to be broken. And so one of the clear instructions we have throughout the Old Testament is you shall not intermarry with those outside of Israel. And so where does Samson go again and again to find a partner? He goes to the Philistines. Or or the very beginning of Samson's life, before he's even born, he's given this very special calling to be what's called a Nazarite, someone who literally means they are separated, they are dedicated to God. And and this, this dedication that has been placed upon him has three key components. He's supposed to avoid alcohol, but then he has a wedding feast that clearly has drinking. He's supposed to avoid anything that is dead. And he sees some honey in a dead carcass, and he scoops it out. There's just one remaining piece. He has long hair that's not supposed to be cut. But in every other way, whenever there is a boundary that Samson sees, it is something that he feels like should be broken. Because again, when when Samson sees God's instructions, he sees a cage. And one wonders what would have happened if Samson had understood it differently, if he had recognized that it's not a cage but it's a pathway. That when God says this is the way to go, it is not to keep Samson from things he he would otherwise love and enjoy. It is to keep him on the way that is good and healthy and safe. For, For this is the way that sin always gains its entry point. At the very beginning, what was it that the serpent said to Eve? Did God really say... And then the second underlying tacit question was, and if he said that, was he really being kind when he said that? This is sin's first movement turning us away from God, causing us to to resent and disregard God's instructions. Secondly, as we see just the very beginning of our passage, we see that sin also involves leading us into a disordered love. In a very real sense, you and I are what we love. And sin is when we find ourselves with a misplaced love. Sometimes it might be us loving something good, but loving it wrongly. Like if if you have a, a, a love for success and career, that's a good thing. But if you value that over your family, that's disordered. There's a brokenness to it, right? Sometimes This misplaced love means loving something that really should not be loved. And that's what we see here when we are told in 16 verse 4 that he loved a woman, that Samson loved Delilah. Now, even in the names, there's already a hint that this is not a good match. Samson's name means sunshine or little sunshine. Delilah's name sounds like night. The sun does not mix with the night, and yet Samson loves Delilah. More significantly, one of the very last things Joshua, one of the great leaders of Israel, said on God's behalf is that when you come into the promised land, love God with all of your being and cling to him. And then he says, do not cling to the other nations 
and intermarry with them, for there is the way of destruction. But Samson loves Delilah. And when we start getting to know Delilah, we don't see someone who is terribly lovely, do we? For what do we find immediately after Delilah is introduced? But we find these five Philistine lords coming, and they want to solve the riddle of Samson. No matter what they have tried, they have not been able to stop him. They want to find out where his strength is found. And so they invite Delilah to seduce Samson and to find out where his great strength lies so that, you see, by what means we may overpower him and bind him to humble him. That word could just as easily be translated to torment him. We want to take away strength so that he can be bound and he can be tormented. And Delilah doesn't even blink and says, a deal. Samson might think that Delilah is the best thing in the world, but Delilah clearly has no affection for Samson. And yet, Samson loves Delilah. This is the mystery of this passage. Actually, more than that, I would say this is the mystery of sin itself. Why? Why would Samson prize someone who so clearly should not be prized? Why, why do we, why do we love so frequently things that are not worthy of our love? Because whenever we are attracted to something that is other than what God calls us to, it is simply not good. We, we feel the desire to hold on sometimes to our bitterness and anger. There's a sense that we love our resentment, but do we really want the life of, of losing our temper and being bitter? We, we have these Habits that we hold on to of, of eating too much or drinking too much or endless scrolling, but do we really want the life that comes with that? We might know of, 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 of people who have found themselves attracted to someone at work and has ripped apart their lives because of this love. And at the end of it, you must ask, was that good? No, it was not. Why, why is it? There is nothing in the end that makes sense about these misplaced loves, but this is what sin does to us. It, it, it leads us to a disordered love. Samson loves Delilah. And then as we continue, we see another step of sin's progress, of moving Samson away from God, and that is through deceit, specifically through Self-deceit. And here's where we get, in some ways, into the meat of our story. One of the things that is most striking to me is just how utterly shameless Delilah is. Do you notice the question that she asked Samson? Verse 6. Samson, tell me where your great strength lies and how you can be bound so that one could subdue, or again, that word is, or so that one could torment you. Just I'm curious, just tell me all of these things that you've been hiding from everybody. Which is weird, right? But Samson just kind of decides to shrug it off and just say, oh, this is a fun game. And so he kind of starts playing this weird, messed up kind of make-believe. It, it talks about how first he gives, he says, 
bowstrings, which it's literally animal sinews, which sometimes we use for bowstrings. Samson is, I think, uh, subtly doing a callback to when he tore apart the lion. He knows that a lion and animal stuff can't hold him. So just tie me up with these animal sinews and then my strength will be gone. And then we see that Delilah does that. And because it doesn't say that Samson goes to sleep in this moment, and only later will be that, we're supposed to assume, I think, that he's awake, that he's just kind of sitting there letting Delilah kind of tie him up and he's kind of like inwardly grinning at this great joke that he's about to do. And at a certain point, and he doesn't know, of course, that there are Philistines just in the other room ready to take him if he is bound, we have Delilah pretending to be all horrified. The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And Samson kind of grins and just kind of like flexes his muscles and, and snaps the, the, the bind and, and it's over. You know, they don't, she doesn't understand what's going on yet. So she asks again. And, and he now does the call back to chapter 15 where remember he was bound with these new ropes and he says, if you do that to me, I will lose my strength and no one will be able, I mean, people will be able to take me down. And so once again, he sits and he lets Delilah do that again and again and again. And again, she says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he just kind of like stretches and the ropes snap and he grins once again and nothing happens. Then there is a third time. And this time things get a little bit different. Once again, it's a callback to a previous breaking free where he was lifting up and ripping up the door and the gate and everything that's anchored, and now he says something similar. If you tie up my hair and anchor it down, I will not be able to get free, knowing that just like he could lift the gates, he can lift his hair from wherever it's anchored. But notice a couple of things here. This time, Delilah does something a little different. This time, it speaks of how Delilah... While, it says, verse 14, while he slept. This is no longer something while he's awake. She is waiting till he's sleeping. And notice this time Samson has actually begun to give a little bit of the secret because he is talking about his hair. But again, she says, waking him up, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And, and he just jumps up and rips his hair out of wherever it was and once again grins, showing just how awesome he is. And you would think by this time, Samson would start worrying, right? I mean, three times she has literally asked how to take his strength away and torment him. And three times when he told her, she has done it. It's obvious, right, what she's trying to do? I mean, doesn't Samson know? And I think, yes, he does. This is the reason that he has not yet told her. And yet, no, he doesn't. He is not allowing himself to see. He, he makes things up in his mind. It's just a game. It's no big deal. And even if it ever becomes a big deal, I'm strong enough to get out of this. If you've faced temptation in a certain way, if you look back, honestly, you might know exactly what this is like. To have a part of you saying, this is a really, really bad idea. But to have another part of you saying, I don't care. We shut our eyes sometimes. We shut our eyes to something that we know is true, but that we don't want to see. We choose the pathway of darkness and deceit. And that is what we see here. We see sin moving Samson further away from the light, further away from God as he chooses the pathway of deceit. 
And so we've seen a progression from disregard of God's instructions to disordered love to deceit. And that brings us finally to the culmination of disconnection from God himself. There is one thing that Samson has held on to. There is one final remaining thread, you might say, that still tethers him in his relationship with God. He has lost everything else. He has broken everything else. But he has hair that he has not cut. That is the one remaining aspect of his set-apartness that he has maintained. And it's clear that he knows this, that he understands the significance of it. This is why he has hidden it again and again from Delilah. But Delilah knows this as well. Not the secret, but that Samson is holding something back. And she is thoroughly unhappy. Verse 15, Delilah says to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me. Samson, if you love me, you will love me with all of your heart. I will accept nothing less. And here we see where sin has been moving this whole time, a wholehearted devotion to it, which means a wholehearted turning away from God. Samson resists. We sense there's this time that he continues to kind of withhold because he knows what telling her would mean. But notice how it talks about in verse 16, she pressed him hard with her words day after day. As long as we allow sin to have its place in us, it will not rest and it will not relent until it gets what it wants. And that is a complete turning away. I had a friend in uh, college who uh, fell in love with a girl who was a non-Christian girl, and he felt keenly the dissonance of this, about how he was supposed to have kind of commitments to Jesus, and yet the most important person in his life did not. And, and at a certain point, to kind of resolve that dissonance, he started changing. He's like, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I believe this anymore. His mind shut certain things. And over time, he at a certain point gave up on his faith because that is where this took him. Sometimes it doesn't happen quite that obviously. In, in our age of, of, of a big news of de-churching, there are people, and it's such a common and sad thing, who will feel hurt or burned by church, and they will feel so frustrated and so bitter that they just feel the need to disconnect, not just from that church, but from every church. Or you'll have people whose just priorities are such that Sunday morning stuff keeps on getting in the way. And for both these situations, there's a part in the back of their mind that knows, hey, this is Jesus' church. He calls us to be a part of his community. And yet, it's just something that slowly fades to the background. You know, you don't need to be a Christian to go to church. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And, and, and that kind of changes until they're completely disconnected from the church. And more than that, they become more and more disconnected from God so that he's at the periphery of their lives. That's, that's the trajectory that sin wants to take us. And that's where we see Samson taken. After the persistence, again and again, notice what happens in verse 17. It says, And he told her all his heart. Here it is, Delilah, I give it to you. And we see what that means. He tells her his secret. 
that the reason he has strength is because of this connection forged with God, symbolized by his hair. And he knows, he knows what this means. Three times before, when he has told Delilah, this is what you need to do, those three times, Delilah has done exactly that. Do you think there is any doubt in his mind that now that he's told Delilah this secret, that Delilah will do the very same thing? And so having given himself, handing himself over to Delilah, accepting a complete severing of relationship with God that he might love her instead, we are told that Delilah puts him to sleep on his knees like a baby. While he is asleep, she has his hair shaven from his head, one braid after the other until all seven braids are cut away. And then one final time, verse 20, it says, she says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And once again, like before, he awakes and he is assuming that once again he will just shake himself free. But we know that's not going to work because we have just been told in the previous verse, his strength has now left him. And then in verse 20, we're told more explicitly why that is. Because it says, he did not know that the Lord had left him. And so, he's bound. He's captured. His eyes are gouged. And he's caged and treated like an animal. He is brought to the logical, necessary consequence of where sin has taken him. A complete disconnection from God. And that moves us in our story from sin's progression, what it's seeking to do, to sin's consequences. Because a disconnection from God, therefore, leads to death. Romans says the wages of sin is death. And it, and it doesn't say that to kind of imply that there's some sort of arbitrary kind of penalty, kind of like, you know, if you get an F on your math test, you get grounded. It's not something like that. It's saying this is the logical and necessary outcome. Because sin seeks to disconnect us from God, and in God is life. In God is everything that is good. And so when we are pulled away from God, we are pulled away from life itself, and the only other place to go is death. And that's what we see happens to Samson as he has given himself over to that which pulls him away from God. He enters into a living death. For all his life, he saw God's commands as a cage, as a constraint that he needed to break free from. And now that he is fully broken free, he is truly in a cage imprisoned and realizing maybe for the first time that in God's will was actually where freedom was to be found. God is the one who spoke wisdom and truth, but he wanted to shut his eyes. He loved the darkness more than light, and now he has plunged into darkness, not ever being able to see again, experiencing his choice. He believed, I think, that the life that he wanted most was a life of giving himself to Delilah, that this is where life is to be found, but the moment he gave himself to her, the moment he gave himself to sin, he became imprisoned, lonely, sightless, and treated as less than a human being. He experienced a living death because this is where sin takes us. 
If you've been reading Judges with me, one of the things you see again and again, not just is the failure of Israel, but you see God's white-hot, passionate anger against sin. And here, if we're looking clearly, we see why. Because God loves his people, and he knows that their good, that their joy, that their freedom, that their wisdom is only ever going to be found in him. And so sin, the thing that threatens to pull us away from him, he hates with a white-hot fury. And I just want to pause and invite us to just see what I think judges, and especially this passage, is, is meant to be showing us about sin. And it's simple, but we need to recognize it. And that is simply this. Sin is not what you want. Sin will invite you to resent God's instructions. It will seek to captivate you with things that seem beauty and attractive, even though if you look more closely, it will not stand the test. It will invite you to shut off your mind and your heart so that you can just pursue something that you feel like you want, but you need to understand that this pathway is leading you into death and devastation because that's where sin is taking you, away from God, away from all that is good. Sin is not what you want. If, if you right now are finding yourself moving down that, if you know Deep down, there is something that you are tempted by or something that you are choosing to do that you know, this is not what God wants for me. Turn back. Stop and, and, and recognize the God who loves you is calling you to something better. This is not what you But there's one more piece to this story that we will not understand the story unless we recognize this, this beautiful, glorious verse and all that it signifies in this passage. I, I want you to look with me at verse 22. It says, But the hair of his head began to grow again. Isn't that awesome? I know you're probably going, wait a second, I'm... Um, yeah, uh, obviously hair grows again. It's kind of like saying, and after the rain, the ground was wet. But that's actually the point here. He is saying something that seems like it should be obvious. But the writer wants us to recognize something very significant in this. Because remember, the hair stood for more than just hair. The hair stood for the final connection between God and Samson. And so when Samson chose to let Delilah cut his hair, Samson was choosing to sever his relationship with God. He was done with God. But here we are meant to understand that God is not yet done with Samson. Yes, there was a death to the relationship that they once had, but here we are meant to understand that there is the potential for something more, for a life on the other side of the death of this relationship. What we are meant to see is that as great as the power of sin is, the power of God's grace is greater. And so we get to our final scene where Samson is a shell of what he once was. 
We, we get the sense that he's needing the young man even to take steps. He is so weak. He's being brought to this massive party of all of the Philistine dignitary, 3,000 of the elite, who are celebrating what they think is their God's victory over Samson's God. They are celebrating the ridiculing of Samson, who now clearly is no longer their nemesis. They are rejoicing at his expense. And in his weakness and in his misery, he is brought to a place where his hands are on the pillars that support the temple. And in that moment, Samson prays. And the prayer he prays is not the greatest prayer ever. It's, it's still very Samson, very selfish. If you, if you look in verse 28, his, his content is, he wants to be avenged on the Philistines for them taking away his two eyes. But I want you to notice how that prayer begins. Oh, Lord God. There's, there's two words there. One, the second one that's in all caps is, is Yahweh. It's, it's the covenantal name of God. And that first one is Lord. It's Master. For all of his life, Samson has lived as if he has no master, as he is the one who rules his life. But for the first time, as he calls on the Lord, you are my master. And then he says, please remember me. He is claiming the relationship they once had. He is asking for that relationship to be restored. He is asking for forgiveness. And so what happens next, we are seeing God's answer. We are told that he grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and it says, he cries out this cry, let me die with the Philistines, and it says, he bowed with all his strength, or you could even say, I think more literally, he stretched out with strength. And that's significant, because you might remember that in verse 19, it says that his strength left him. And verse 20 tells us that his strength leaving him signifies that the Lord has left him. And now we see strength has come back. And the implication is, so also has God. That God in that moment has returned to be with Samson. And so in that moment, he triumphs. In that moment, in his death, he brings death to 3,000 Philistines. In that moment, he fulfills his calling to begin to bring salvation for Israel against the Philistines. And after he dies, what happens? He is brought home, and he is caused to rest with his forefathers in that tomb. He dies ultimately an Israelite. And I would suggest to you that this final moment is Samson's greatest moment in his entire life. Strikingly, in Hebrews 11, uh, as they are listing all of the great heroes of faith, Samson, messy, ugly, wrong, Samson is mentioned as one. And then one of the statements that makes after that I think is talking about Samson is how by faith those who were weak were made strong. Or sorry, that one who was weak was made strong. And I think that's saying that's talking about Samson which is such a striking way of speaking of Samson's story because from the human perspective, from the Philistine perspective, it's one who is strong has now been made weak. 
But from the perspective of the gospel, from the perspective of God's grace, it's one who has been brought to weakness is now finally experiencing by God's grace a true strength. And this, I think, if we understand at the heart of this story, is also the heart of the hope that is meant to be for Israel. Judges is messy. We see again and again and again the succumbing to sin, the destruction, the death. And yet what we also see again and again is where there is sin and where there is death, somehow God's grace is still at work. And what we are meant to understand is though we don't know how, there is going to somehow be life beyond the death. Though we don't know how, Israel will have to come to an end of themselves. Israel will have to experience weakness and blindness and eyes being gouged out and darkness and imprisonment and exile. And yet somehow beyond that, the hair will grow back again. Somehow beyond that, though sin and its power are great, God's grace will be greater. And in this Advent season, we know where this story goes, don't we? We know that God, when he sent Jesus, it wasn't just to heal us from things outside of us, like disease and just badness in the world. He was here to save us from ourselves, to save us from our own sin, to save us from the consequences of where sin is taking us, to save us from the death that we deserve. And he does that by enduring it for us, by entering into the worst of the worst and taking it upon himself so that we might be freed and so that we in our weakness might be made strong in him. And here also I want, as I conclude, to pause and ask you to see this. To see something very simple but very extraordinary at the same time. That is, it is never as long as you are alive, too late for you. You might right now see yourself as someone who has failed, and quite likely it's true. You might see yourself perhaps as someone who has moved so far away from God, you have kept him at arm's length for so long, it seems impossible to you to imagine that you could ever have a relationship with him, and I want you to know that that is a lie. Because as great as your sin and my sin might be, God's grace is greater. And even as he responded to Samson's messy, flawed prayer by returning to him, he will come to any who call upon his name. For he has given his son to rescue all of us from sin. It is never too late to call upon him and know that he will welcome you to himself. And so I want to invite us even now to spend time, whether you are someone who has placed your faith in Jesus for many years or maybe even this morning is the time, here is the opportunity for once again for us to turn back from where we have sinned, to confess and to turn to God knowing that he is a loving and gracious God. Let's spend just a moment in silence and then I will lead us in the prayer that is printed in our bulletin of confession.